This is Rights, Rorts and Rants. It's just gone 4.30. Nick Franklin here with Mike Holland. We're talking about jail. We're talking about crime and punishment. And I think we should discuss who goes to jail, Mike, because a lot of people don't go to jail. And there's a, there's a particular part, really, of society who most likely to go to jail. Yeah, well, Nick, probably the most disadvantaged people that go to jail, the statistics show that people from disadvantaged or marginalised groups are far more likely to come into contact with the police. Um, and intergenerational poverty and lack of education and opportunity causes more and more young people from these communities to turn to crime. And uh, incarceration at an early age is, is habit-forming, unfortunately. Indigenous Australians are another um, uh, group that, are, are, that disgracefully uh, spend a lot of time in jail. In 2018, uh, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander population was 3%, but the total prison population in Australia was 28%. And um, it was an even grim, that was for adults, it was an even grimmer statistic for, uh, um, for, for kids. Only 5% of young people aged 10 to 17 are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, but they represent 59% of uh, uh, young people in detention. And it, it's nearly, it is now 30 years. Anniversary. We've been hearing a lot of that, haven't we, about the 30th anniversary and about how of all those recommendations from that Royal Commission, which did expose a lot of things wrong, still, after 30 years, a lot of those recommendations haven't been taken up. Um, one of the uh, recommendations that still hasn't been fully addressed is, is hanging points in prisons. Uh, I mean, I just find that... Just oh, given that we know that suicide is one of the reasons people are dying yeah. in jail, um, and that would seem to be something so simple. Yeah. And, and the Royal Commission recommended that uh, uh, imprisonment be a last resort with Aboriginal uh, yeah. uh, offenders, and that's simply not not been been happening. No, and, I, I, and I mean, even we know that the, in the last week, I understand yeah. there's been three or four uh, more deaths. It just keeps custody. happening. It just yeah. I mean, people will wring their hands and say it's a national scandal. I mean, at the end of this program, we will we'll be looking at some solutions. I mean, there's an obvious solution is don't send so many young Aboriginal people to jail, and there are alternatives to that which have been proven to, to work. Um, yeah, we should just mention again, because it's so important, about why prisons fail. It's just a revolving door. It's, it's not actually getting them off crime. It's quite often, I've heard them described as universities of crime. So some young fellow goes in, he's done something minor, but he, he, he meets older lags, and they haven't got much to do in there. They talk about crime. Yeah, I, I remember a, a client who'd got weekend detention for um, a social security fraud. It wasn't a lot of money, and he was a, otherwise n never been in trouble before. But in those days, the sentencing philosophy was, philosophy was anyone who steals from social security goes to jail, whether it's $1 or $1,000. And he told me that in the six months in weekend detention, he was taught how to break into cars how to use uh, screwdrivers to jimmy open windows, how to use plastic straps off for pallets to, to, to pull car locks up, how to start cars, uh, all those sorts of things, he, knowledge he came out with, he had no idea when he went in. And so... Um, Better than TAFE. Yeah, and, and I think we've got to think, focus on what are the aims of, of, of prison, sending someone to prison? Well, the first one's punishment, um, but also the aim is to reduce crime, also to rehabilitate offenders, uh, and it's to deter and motivate uh, offenders and others to keep within the law and it also make the community safer. Now, when we're talking about punishment, it's important to remember that imprisonment is punishment itself. 
Yeah. Uh, it, it's not a place where punishment is extra punishment. Is the loss of freedom is a punishment in itself. It, that's right. And the and the the um, justice reform initiative they found that prison leads to more crime, and we're setting up a proven pathway back to prison. So far from being tough on crime, uh, the default to jail sentence leads to more recidivism, more crime and more victims and more human suffering. And one thing we should say is we just heard from men in that archive, male prisoners. But you've got some information about what's happening with female prisoners. Well, yeah, it's... it's uh, look, it's even worse for, for female prisoners in, in New South Wales than I'm aware of. But compared to men, women in custody are more likely to demonstrate higher levels of previous victimisation particularly with domestic violence. They experience poor mental health and serious mental illness, uh, substance abuse, and they experience unemployment and low educational attainment. And, and many of them, a great deal of them, are Aboriginal people, and they're also parents. Now, 38% of all prisoners in New South Wales uh, have, have children, but of, of women, 58% of women who go to jail have children. And the problem is women generally face shorter sentences, so they've got a greater need for services to help them when they are released, but they're not in there long enough for those, for those services to be activated and, and fully implemented and understood. Um, and so they, they also face that challenge of accessing their children while in custody. And, so the, and children are, the children are punished, Yeah, in and fact. That's, and, and that's a tragedy. And also, and the other thing you've got to remember is the majority of women in custody are not there for violent crimes. So it's, uh, it, it's clear that you've got to, we've got to be able to deal with those sorts of uh, offenders in, in a different way. Look, I, I just discovered something startling the other day, that what they're doing with... Because there are, I think there's about 700 odd uh, um, uh, prisoners. No, it's about a, th a thousand women inmates in New South Wales now. But all, not all prisons are suitable, so they're scattered all over the place. But one of the things that they did was, of course, they were running out of space for women prisoners. They reopened the old Berrimah Correctional Centre down on, on um, the Southern Highlands. Now, that's the old Berrimah Jail. It was built in 1839. So it's heritage right. listed. It's nearly 200 years ago. It is. It's on the heritage site as a heritage yeah. listed bu uh, building. So one would, would imagine that the, the government would be, corrective services would be committing some sort of an offence under the Heritage Act if they made any modifications to the building. So how they could make that building, a uh, modern building and suitable for women, is just beyond my imagination. It, it's, it's absurd. But there's all sorts of people who don't go to jail and probably in a fairer world some of them should You've got a fairly long list there, Mike. Yeah, well, uh, Nick, I've, I wanted to start off with uh, wage theft. Wage that's theft. one we're all... Rampant. Like, Have you ever heard a boss has gone to jail for wage theft? Well, I've never heard... That's, <laughs> that's for sure. And you, you recall um, the, um, in the hospitality industry, a number of uh, high-end restaurants were exposed to some of the biggest names in the industry for underpaying their staff. And, and I'm not talking uh, pittances here, I'm talking of millions of dollars. And yet none of them, of course, uh, went to jail. One was a former MasterChef star. Um, he kept out of, uh, of jail. Then you've got uh, some people in the rural industry. One of the problems is with the big supermarket chains now, they are, they are squeezing the farmers uh, with, with food and, and uh, produce and so on and so forth, so much so that they're hardly making any money in the, and they're then being pressured into underpaying the wages of a lot of migrant workers uh, and uh, paying well and truly under, under the award wage. You know, people are working for as little as 5 or $6 an hour. This is why they always find it hard to find, generally, Australians to do things like, like fruit picking. 
because they know in many cases, there are some honourable exceptions, but in many cases, they get ripped off. And that, that, that's right. And, and, and on top of wage theft, um, you've got, remember the Banking Royal Commission, you've got the bank designing products where they stole, really stole money off the, the bank's customers. Um, they, I can't remember any, any banker going to jail. No. I, I remember a few leaving their jobs with golden parachutes. Well, that's, that's right. I remember, I mean, some banks ran superannuation funds where they charged massive unjustified administration fees. I had a friend who was being charged $10,000 a year to run his superannuation f fund, and I'm an, I was in an industry fund, and they were charging me $900 a year. Yeah. Um, and uh, those, those were found to be completely unjustified. And then they were, they were packaging insurance products up that they knew were worthless, and they knew that when people claimed on those insurance products, they couldn't... They weren't able to claim on it. They were, they were useless bits of junk that were being sold, and they knew that. Um, and and if, you know, if that's not criminal, I, I just don't know what is. And then you've got the telcos who, who went out there selling, bundling up telephone uh, services, particularly for Aboriginal people, and, and running up massively high bills and getting them to sign contracts where they had no idea what they were signing on, up to and then putting them into mountains and lifetimes of, of, of debt. And, and, and the final, well, one of my final ones, um, not the only one, is, is those employees who don't provide a safe system of work for their for employers, who don't provide a safe system of work for their employees. They send women and men out to work. They won't provide proper safety gear. They won't pro provide proper training or adequate training. They won't spend any money on those sorts of things. And those poor people, they, get, they work out from home in the morning and in the afternoon they're dead. I mean, that's just disgraceful. And I can't remember any employer who's been sent to jail where a worker has died. No, I know I they might have been fined, but I don't remember anyone ever being sent to jail. Sometimes it, it takes a long time for the, the corruption to be exposed. Um, I've, I was given a book recently about one of the most famous or infamous crims who ran Sydney, um, Abe Saffron, also known as Mr Sin. And we haven't got enough time really to go into everything. A lot of people would know him, but he was into everything. Um, he was also completely in line with uh, corrupt cops and he must have been protected by corrupt politicians. And the only thing they got him for after years and years of crime and standover and some terrible things was a bit like Al Capone. It was the tax in the end that got him. But one of the in, a, in a, a very grim story, one of the ironies, of course, is, and you see this with other, other famous people, they use the defamation laws to protect themselves, sometimes to, to ludicrous extents. And the famous one was, as we say, he was known as Mr. Sin, and this, in, in a Queensland paper, was put as a crossword clue. Who is Mr. Sin? What well, the answer was, Abe Saffron. But remember, he, he sued on that. He did, and he won. He won <laughs> he the won. defamation case. He was... Badly defamed yeah. by that crossword clue. And crooked cops in Sydney, well, if you go back to the 70s and 80s, that was, was rampant. And this links up with Abe Saffron, because this year, thanks to one of the best thing, investigations the ABC has done for a long time, exposed the Lunar Park ghost train fire, which, which killed some young children and, and one adult all those years ago. Um, Big, big cover-up by the police. The, the police investigation, pretty certain 
they they put it down to a fuse box when it was pretty clear all the information all the evidence they collected over a long time that that it, it was arson and then in series three they get right down to well who wanted that land well, it was people representing Abe Saffron. And who was, who was protecting Abe Saffron? Well, right at the end, they alleged it went right through the police force, up to the highest levels of the police force, and to the Premier of the State of the day. So, as I say, it takes a long time for some of that to come out because they're protected.